Shut up and sit down. This is episode two. Welcome to Films D Digital Entertainment Editorials. Let's get it started with a new segment uh, I like to call D Intro. It's an idea Joe brought up, uh, like he should as a producer. Do what I say. Basically, uh, I'll take time really? at the top of the. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You you you're a producer on the show. Yeah, that's what you do. So you 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 got you get to rein in on the direction of it. Um. So yeah, let me let me. Can I do it though? Can I do that job? <laughs> you just go cut in on it. I, it's supposed to be scripted at this point. Now I'm just going off book. Um. All right. Fuck. Um. No. But uh. Basically. Uh. At the top of each show, we just uh just give you. I shared this with you before, and Amir. But mm-hmm. we just gonna talk about you know film news of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the official release of uh, Daredevil teaser mm-hmm. for its second season coming out in 2016. Um, rumors of Ryan Coogler being uh, in the top uh, short list of directors to lead the uh, highly anticipated Black Panther movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, uh, F. Gary Gray now is going to be on board with Furious 8. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just, you know, news, headlines, anything you guys care to add, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, uh, if you haven't already uh, or you don't know, uh, Beast of the No Nation is live on Netflix. I started watching that last night. Yeah, it's I finished cold. it up in the middle of the night. Uh, mm-hmm. Last night, I watched one part of it, fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Not because it was whack. I was just tired. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I ended up waking up again thanks to a disturbance upstairs from some neighbors. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? Let me just finish this movie at this point because I have no reason to go to bed. Um, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, um, it was good from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, from my perspective, the way it started, it was it was pretty wholesome. Like I I didn't expect it to kind of come in with that nice wholesome like ch- humor. It was yeah, funny yeah, in the yeah, beginning. yeah. Like yeah. the kids, the kids playing. playing. They put the tree in the middle of the road and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Crazy yeah. lady. Yeah, in the TV. The TV oh, yeah, they the were TV, playing yeah, with. Yeah, that was dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that as the a kid, show, one of the yeah. kids was like uh, it, doing a little flashback like Winston Bishop from uh, New Girl. I don't know. you never seen that show, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably one episode. Oh, okay. I like Zoe Deschanel. I do, too. I, yeah, Her I don't bangs. know what it is. It is the bangs. <laughs> it's the bangs. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was good for the first 15 minutes uh, in terms of, like, the that humor. And then it got real serious real mm-hmm. fast with the mm-hmm. main the character. Rebel, yeah, yeah, the main character being a child rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, Agu was the character's name. He got recruited in the uh, Idris Elba's uh Troop, little troop, uh, yeah. Like, I saved your life. Rebels. I saved your life. I saved your life. He's sitting on like the box. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah, carrying yeah, 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 yeah. So he's carrying the box. Right, right, right. Uh, so it it turned out to be uh, a great ending. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of brought it came full circle. Okay. Um, yeah, from from my perspective, but it still really shined a light on the fact that there's a lot of that struggle still going on in America, uh, Africa, as it relates to like which the, uh which part were they in? I wasn't sure. That is a very good question. Don't, don't think they said it in the beginning. Um, I would have to ask my uh, 
fellow <laughs> over here, Joe, but uh, we're going to have to get back to that one. Joe's looking it up. In the meantime, uh, just going to go ahead and introduce you. As I'm not sure people, many people know your voice all <laughs> that well, but uh, my guest here today is uh, Mir George, uh, motion picture artist and film curator for Cinema Culture and Black Radical Imagination. Um, of course, I am uh, Richard Thomas, actor, producer, writer, and content creator for Films D, and engineer, contributor, producer of Films D podcast. To my right is Joe Walters. So again, welcome to Films D podcast. How was that introduction, man? Was it kind of long, unentertaining? No, cool, it, it was fine. It was cool. <laughs> yeah, I got an answer for you. Um, the answer is the country was unnamed. Ah. ah. Figured. Okay. Hence the title, like Beasts of No Nation. No Nation. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nice. It was. It was a really good film too. Um. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, you got to watch it. It'll be on Netflix for a while because they own the rights to it. Right. Um. So, uh, check it out. Um. First things first. Uh, of course, I want to. As I've done uh, in previous episode, uh, start off by just kind of letting the audience, anybody listening, get to know, you know, how I know you, <laughs> uh, my uh, guest for today. So, I mean, we met up this past week at uh, your um, programming of the uh, Kinfolk Collective. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was a couple short films, your film, yeah. one of your short films that you produced. Yeah. Um, as well as um, some uh, musicians performing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a real live show. Mm -hmm. um, and you reminded me, dude, I used to cut your hair. Used to cut my hair, man. <laughs> I forgot all about Used to cut things, my hair, man. man. That was At Columbia. That was essential. That was essential yes, to just yes, it was. being a college student, being able to afford haircuts and uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. accessibility of barbers. You needed an on-campus barber. You know, you yeah. on barber, you know? Especially in Chicago, man. Barber shops are expensive. Man, I remember, I remember when it was like I remember when it was twelve, then went to twenty, then went to twenty-five, and I was just like, man, yeah, I'm yeah. just grow my, I'm gonna grow it out for a little bit, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So, and that was that was my whole thing was like, you know what, I don't want to be in that situation. I'm gonna learn how to cut my own hair, <laughs> and then it turned into this thing where like uh, uh, you, yeah, uh, my guy James, and a whole bunch of other cats on campus. Everybody was like, man, who cut your hair? I did. <laughs> oh, you know how to cut, you yeah, cut yeah, your own hair. Yeah, you right. can cut my hair, yeah, man. Right. How much? Yeah. I'm like, Rich, what up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cutting, I was cutting hair from, what, yeah. 2006 to 2010, man. Uh, everybody, graduation, special occasions. <laughs> uh, you got a presentation you got to give in class. Right, I was there fresh, for you. For yeah. sure. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, Memphis and his... Memphis. Ah, that fro, man. <laughs> I had enough of cutting that fro. Memphis, yeah, man. I don't do that no more. I go to the barber myself. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, yeah, so that's how we got connected. And I remember doing a film, one of your first projects at Columbia, too. Um, I don't know if you were, if it, if it was yours or you were working on somebody uh, else's. We were at Bar Louie over there on... Uh, Balboa and uh, whose film State. was that, man? I can't remember who film that was. That wasn't my film, okay, but it was a friend of mine. Yeah. I can't remember who it was though, okay. but I, we, I remember Bar Louis being used as a location frequently, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. that, that, it was that like back everybody, room. yeah, that back room, <laughs> yeah, Bar Louis was cool for that. I ain't been to that Bar Louis in forever, yeah, Polk, Polk Street, yeah, yeah, right off of Pope and Balboa. 
um yeah that's that's pretty much how we met and then we lived in the dorm together mm-hmm. on the same campus not mm-hmm. in the same dorm room in the same <laughs> building but um yeah and then i don't know if i've done any worked on any projects with you after that project that no i don't think so uh but I, I'm, I'm doing something right now that i want to talk to you about it's another film not the formal i'm currently in production on but another film we're doing that I was like, Rich, Rich could be good for this. Well, hopefully, the, the, now that you've heard it on record here, <laughs> this actually I just thought about it yesterday. Too. I was like, yo, I need a, I need a good lead for this. And, okay. You know, I'm very very picky about my talent I choose to work with okay. just because I just feel like I got to be able to vibe with them on a personal level, just on the outside of, like, making some art, you know, okay. trying to just okay. have a conversation with a person. So you... A person like that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, don't I, I, ha- I just I I don't have me out there like sway just doing radio shows <laughs> like I'm on Empire nah, or something man, like that. Nah, I don't mean nothing like that. Nah, actual, okay, all right, cool. Actual. I don't want to play myself. I want to play somebody else. <laughs> I want to be challenged. Um, that's cool though. I'm definitely interested in hearing more about that. But speaking of your current project, uh, your um decadent asylum, asylum. yeah, decadent asylum. Um, it's a short film I've been working on for about. Man, I can't. I don't even know how I'm working on this project. Uh, it's been a while. I feel like I've uh, seen you do two campaigns. Did two campaigns. Yeah. Uh, dropped up one recently. Yep. Um, and as always, you know, always looking for support behind the project. Absolutely. Um, it's being released. Uh, next end of spring, summer next year. Okay. So yeah, I'm just getting a plan together for that. You know, doing the whole producing and with my whole crew and everything. So. Yeah, it's a it's a short film, um, that basically uh, is about um, of like human potential essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, the inner alchemic powers that we all possess as human beings, and how does one person um like taps into that um through their um through their research mm-hmm. and their like quest for knowledge and understanding of things within the universe. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just. That's pretty right cool. It, yeah, yeah, that's I I like that. Um, it, it, now it, it, are there aspects of like the metaphysical as it relates to like how we as human beings communicate through without actually using utilizing words and commu- verbal communication? Uh, or? yeah, yeah. Um, it's somewhat. Uh, the two, the main actor I'm working with goes by the name of uh, goes by the name of uh, like Nick K. Mm-hmm. And they're a performing artist from uh, the Bronx. Been doing some work in Chicago for a few years. Mm-hmm. They just had a show called um, Little Black, which is which is fucking rad. I could I could curse, right? Yeah, you okay. good. Fuck all the cuss words <laughs> uh, in the world. Yeah. It was rad, and it was really like really like. I mean, they was a part of the film before they did the performance, but we were, they were working on it as I was like working with them on the film and. Uh, Great performance artist. Another another artist a part of his name uh, goes by the name of uh, like Victor Lee, and he's just mm-hmm. he's just a real like so many things about this dude. Like so many layers. He's like he does this. He got this installation up right now in Columbia. Um, it's called like Dreaming South, but he basically went down to his family's home in Texas and excavated all this old materials and put it into this installation. You know, he mm-hmm. kind of conjures the spirits of his ancestors and his family and. He's a really dope dude, and I'm really happy to have them both a part of the project. Um, my friend Coffee, uh, who's an actress, she's been she's also in it. Um, another actor by the name of uh, like Dior Stevens is in it. 
a lot of performing artists, um, performance artists, not really people that consider themselves like traditionally actors. Nice. So yeah, I think they they pull a lot of things from their performance backgrounds and bringing it into the film, and I'm excited to see how it, how it all comes about. Awesome. That whole uh, story about your uh, one of the actors uh, doing an excavation in Texas reminded me of a trip. One of my relatives went on to uh, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. They went to um, a old slave quarters, mm. um, and just they took one of the bricks. Like there was a mm. brick like on the um, on at one of the buildings. It was a lot of bricks just laying around mm-hmm. from like loose fallen buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. loose uh, from you know old uh, quarters that the slaves used to live in. <laughs> And uh, took it back home, traveled back to, you know, from there to uh, home and started feeling like there were spirits in the house. Mm. Like it was just them and mm. one of my uh, cousins. It was my aunt, her, uh, her son. Mm. And they would always think that there was somebody in the house besides them. And they were like, what are you, what are you doing all that running around in there, boy? Mm. Like my aunt asking him all these. Like, he's like, I'm in a room laying down. Mm. Like, what are you talking about, man? Mm. He's like. You know, um, at one point he even was at home by himself mm-hmm. and would think that it was people running around the house, opening, closing doors. Hmm. And so they kind of, it started happening around the same time she got back from the trip. Hmm. And so in the back of her mind, she was like, I think it was, it's something about this brick. brick. Yeah. Wow. This brick is carrying the spirit. Wow. And so she put the brick in a box, didn't have a return address because of course she stole it from the place. Uh-huh. And sent it back there mm-hmm. and basically was like uh sorry i took this mm-hmm. but here it is back you know where mm-hmm. it belongs mm-hmm. wow. and everything stopped happening wow yeah wow uh, so um yes yeah, I, I i i definitely believe in everything that you know um in terms of metaphysical and all this uh spiritual nature that yeah. uh happens in the yeah world, man you know, the, the, like spirits always among us you know and in different forms you know yeah. They with us right now. The film gods <laughs> are right. among us right now. <laughs> you know, seeing this whole through. So. Yeah, yeah, and even like people like Denzel, I've recalled uh, reading interviews where he would talk about before he would go on set in his trailer, he would pray um, to all the you know um, originator, the black f- yeah. uh, film uh, stars of the early days, and uh, meditate on their spirits and just ask them for their blessing and making sure that everything goes uh, as planned for this uh, production. So yeah, it's so important, yeah. man. I was uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that's why he's so good. Yeah, I was so important, <laughs> and it's so important. And um, you know, I was re- I reached into the program at the Schomburg Center. Uh, the Schomburg is a place in Harlem, legendary place. It's like the research. The, it's, it's part of the New York Public Library, but it's just the research center for Black culture. Mm-hmm. And man, so much energy in that building, man. They have Langston Hughes ashes underneath this uh, cosmogram, and it's a picture of Maya Angelou and Marie Baraka dancing on top of this, you know. And this is like right outside the theater we were at. Downstairs is the American Negro Theater where you have people like Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. Ozzy Davis, Ruby D. They all train there, yeah. like when they was first getting their chops in Harlem, you know. So. So much energy in that place, man. You can feel it when you walk in the room. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's only right to like pay homage to the ancestors, acknowledge you know your presence because they're already there. You know what I'm saying? Right, man. right, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I um definitely uh could go in more depth about a lot of that, but sticking to sticking to film. Let's stick to film. Um, so you um. 
from my perspective, I've sat down and watched, like, rewatched everything that you have online. Cool. Um, in the last 24 hours as well. Cool, as man. watching my uh, added programs, I was caught up with uh, Beast of No Nations. I, uh, this morning, I was also watching uh, Disciples of 36 Chambers, which is, mm. I thought it was going to take itself seriously. But that film was so very Oh, from the 36 Chambers! Oh, yeah! yeah. Right. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I was like, all right, cool. Is this is this what it inspired, like, the woot? Like, yo, you, yo. And then I'm watching it, and the whole time I'm like, uh, I don't, I guess it did. They What they did as artists, as musicians, they really switched it up. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still a lot of fun. The movie's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated it, nevertheless. But I thought it was going to be mad serious. Um. Uh, but nah, it was nothing like check out my Wu Tang style. <laughs> it was none of that. Shaolin. Nah, it was it was it was it was a humor. It was pretty humorous. Um, Actually, the five day. It's kind of like drunken monk. Uh, five daily venoms. Yeah. You ever seen yeah, that? I heard five daily venoms. I used to own um, what's called the Wu Tang Manual, which is a great book. You don't okay. have it written by RZA, yeah. but it basically outlines the whole Wu Tang philosophy, every movie that inspired them, where they pull their names from. Like, everybody individually has a dictionary in the back that gives you, like, all the terms they talked about that wasn't necessarily self-explanatory. People didn't know the slang. You know, even when he says, Ak, he talks about uh, Acura. (laughs) You know, just, like, laying out, you know, it's a Wu-Tang grammar and history and stuff like that. But it's a great book to to read. But it definitely mentions that movie in there for sure. Yeah, I, I... Gave my little brother uh, as a gift one of the Wu uh, books Rizzo wrote. I think it was his kind of like biography. The Tao of Wu. Yeah. The, the Tao, Tao of Wu. Wu. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't finish that, but that's that's yeah, another. That was a really one. quick, easy read. Was mm-hmm. the one uh, the manual? Yeah, the really? manual was a very easy read because just it just goes through every member individually and okay. talks about right. and talks about, has different chapters has a chapter on there about drugs. Yeah. And how they use certain drugs to channel certain energies, you know what I'm saying? Wow. To that attributes like to their styles and everything. Yeah, so yeah. it's dope. And I'm yeah. a Wu Tang head, so it's like, you know, Wu Tang to me is like, I would tell people is like the, it's like, the one show I experience where you have all race of people, hmm. of 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 race, gender, age, all in unison putting that W up, like, all together. And it's, like, a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> and this when Method Man could walk on the crowd, he could several people's heads and just, like, stand up still. And people are, like, holding him up, not crowd surfing, yeah, yeah, but he's yeah. standing straight up on people's hands. Right. And it's, like, it's the woo, man. Yeah, he ain't doing what uh, Jeremiah did at the uh, MTV Awards. What was it? that chick? <laughs> 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 that was Miguel. Oh, yeah, Miguel, oh, yeah, Miguel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was Miguel. Karate chopped the shit out of her. Yeah, he just drop kicked her like <laughs> bloom. <laughs> Waiting for that uh, Undertaker music to come on. <laughs> Meek Mill come out of nowhere yeah. like, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> he, he dropped one himself on him. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of memes with that with the Undertaker yeah, music and Meek Mill. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, I. What was I about to do? I had a segue I wanted to get, take this conversation use right now, but I lost it. Um, you were saying you watched some stuff. From oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was I, I, that's where I was heading. Um, 
so with that yeah so i watched your uh quite a few of your projects is this morning last night um and from what i've just overall gathered is that like a lot of what you do is experimental yeah and futuristic and you you utilize a lot of motion graphics uh yeah filters yeah, a lot of filters, a lot of effects driven yeah, yeah. stuff to drive. Even the last, even form. on Thursday when I came to the Kimfo collection. Yeah, film. yeah, that that film Shades of Shadows is a very particular film because uh, I was commissioned with the Chicago, but I was commissioned like uh, uh, pretty much like by the uh, the film archive of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, to um, pull from the archives specific films and and also like pick a band to collaborate with, and I picked the Omis. Who's a great like psychedelic soul band um, based here? I was I, I kept trying to find that song. Man, I, it's, I not available. it's not Shazam. available. Dude, it's not available. It's whole not time even, I was like, I need this song. Shazam it! Shazam! It. And Shazam. The, the, the coldest thing about by collaborating with them, the funniest thing, kind of, it was like they sent me the music for that film. Yeah, like man, probably less than forty eight hours before I had to screen it, before I had to turn it in to screen it. Wow. And uh, they sent me two tracks. So the track they didn't pick, the track I didn't pick, wound up on Ballers on HBO like a couple weeks after. Damn. I was like, ah, imagine if I picked that other song. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it wouldn't work. But um, okay. I mean, they're, they're popular guys, you know. Um, they have a lot of reach and fans. So yeah, but that that music was it was essential for me to pick them. And what I was thinking about doing the film is a lot of things I was working with now around like ritual uh and mysticism and stuff like that and they sent me just the just the music and maceo who's the lead singer he has such an infectious voice and i was like man you gotta record some vocals on this joy like you can't just give me his track he's like well the horn speaks like yes they do but i need your voice on this so he went back and recorded some vocals on it and yeah okay yeah, okay out. so those are that's all Brand. That's all original. Yeah, it's not Shazam. It's not even. It's only available in the movie. Okay. No, it's not okay, okay. Out nowhere else. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, man, that track was captivating, and the the film was as well. Um, how can uh, people access uh, that film? AmirGeorge.com. <laughs> uh, and the motion picture section is at the top. Shades of Shadows. Um, but yeah, I pull some about six film. I pull like. Probably had like twenty films from the archive, fifteen I was going through, and I connected with six of them. And it was these two African documentaries, and they both had these images of like this blue background and flowers budding mm-hmm. randomly. They both had that. I'm like, yo, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Two unrelated films both have this. So, two clips from those. This one called uh, the Dancing Prophet was about this black dancer who uh, basically goes to teach uh, handicapped people. Um, in Denmark, how to do, be better with their movement, and his father's a real religious man. His so father, that was the dancer. Yeah, that was a dancer okay. sequence, and his father wants him to acknowledge the power of God in his dance. And dude's like, "Yo, it's not God, it's me." You know, what I'm saying it's my spirit or whatever. It's my mm-hmm. energy. It's not really God, but his father's like. My favorite scene was I was gonna put it in the clip. Was like his father's like, tears came down to the bottom of my cheek. <laughs> and when I saw his arms spanning, and I saw the Lord in his arms, and it's such a it's such a great movie. It's only fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another clip was this Italian. Another film in that clip was this Italian animation, um, called like Venus the Cat, 
where this guy basically has a cat and he sacrifices it to Venus, the goddess, to um to basically turn this cat into a woman. Hot and top Venus. So <laughs> yeah, you saw the movie, you saw yeah. she had that wide wide posterior. Uh-huh. And um and kinda like Sarah Bartman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, That's true, yeah. 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 yeah right, Sarah yeah, Bartman, yeah. That's um So yeah, the, the the Venus turns the woman into a cat, but it's still a cat. And he brings it all this stuff and it's mm-hmm. like treating it like an animal would treat it, not like a human would treat it. And it's a great film. But yeah, um that's nice. how that came about. Okay. All right. But yeah, experimental stuff, experimental narratives is kind of how I, the genre I choose to work within. Uh, I like telling stories and it's all, I think all they all have a narrative structure in a way, but use different ways of uh, telling a story. I don't know if you got a chance to see the one like Vicissitude with the butterfly. I don't think that that one would play. Yeah, I Vicissitude was one... Um, I think that was the one that I had. It, it was just like a screen. It was my screen. It was like an orange back. It was an orange yeah, like it was with the physics suit. Yeah, so it was basically uh, it tells the change of fortune on this butterfly that's dying. Um, I was in San Francisco with a friend of mine, um, Aaron, my uh, partner, and uh, like in a who's it? Who's in a like Black Radical with me? Mm-hmm. We are uh, like curated together. We were walking through this park, and she thought I stepped on this butterfly, and I was like, no, the butterfly has been laying there. And she's like, well, I think it's moving. So she's like, I want to pick it up and give it a flower. So I had a camera with me. I was like, yo, I got to film this, like this whole thing. And I film it, and it looks like some off of National Geographic. You know what I'm saying? It's really like how how a butterfly reacts when we put it up, when she puts it up, then she brings the flower to it and starts moving towards the flower. But I'm like, yo, that butterfly did not expect that to happen. Like Mm -hmm. They're like this close to dying. They lost, like they can't fly anymore, and like now they got their last meal. You know, because they're going to die anyway. And then um, the music from it is uh, about artists, great artists named like uh, like Titus Onesie. Uh, and he's just a great filmmaker and musician. And yeah, it was my first collaboration with him. Um, he sent me that music one time over over like a text. And I was like, what is this, man? He just recorded some organs and did some vocals on it. And it was so good from like what the cell phone was. We didn't even change the audio. He was like, "We should we record it." I was like, "Nah, this is this is good." Even with the cell phone sound, and you you can't even tell that's recorded on a cell phone. But yeah, you should check it out when you get yeah. A, I'm gonna get a minute. probably pull it up on my computer next time. I try to put it up on a uh, TV. Sometimes it don't play. Uh, it don't play fair. I um I know you it sounds like you like a lot of the projects that you work on however uh there's a lot of the music is influential with the entirety of the piece um you've done music videos yeah um you've uh I know I mean you just a self-proclaimed woohead uh, so <laughs> yeah. um I guess in the in turn like what comes first I mean um, when, when you're doing the editing process, is it the music? Is it uh, you've got the piece and then you're like, I got a song for it? Or, I mean, uh, um, the two oh, pieces you look, 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 kind of both. Uh, it really depends on the project. Um, I definitely edit to a rhythm of the music that I get. Um, 
I also like using silence to purposely capture the audience attention. Mm-hmm. Like I like being in the theater, <laughs> and like when the movie goes silent and see how, how silent it is. And yeah, see shades if really shades of shadows are, definitely have are some silent points. Um, yeah. but um, yeah, I, what, uh, it really depends. It really depends on the project. I mean, I don't really, I haven't really done a lot of things with dialogue, mostly uh, narration, and the things I do do with dialogue. Um, I try to balance it out based on what that script is. But yeah, definitely when the editing process, I do uh, either if I don't if it, if whether I have a track plan for my iTunes or mm-hmm. if I actually put it on the editing track and put it together and cut to a hi hat or something like that, you yeah. know, like I'm hitting the I'm hitting the cuts like as I listen to the beat, you know, what I'm saying to kind of give me just a boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But yeah, it's a they work hand in hand. Yeah, there was some nice solid points where it was just the music with mm-hmm. the shades of shadows and mm-hmm. i think you were right to ask him to put some vocals yo on man song. the dude's voice is crazy man i, I always compare it to like little shop of horror soundtrack um <laughs> that was a soundtrack i grew up on listening to and rehearsing with my cousins i was a dentist yeah <laughs> i was a dentist on scare row i was yeah. steve martin yeah 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 <laughs> crazy film crazy character brother I um gotta ask you this most definitely because you are one from Chicago. I'm not necessarily from here myself. I've lived here the longest out of any place that I've lived in my entire life. Mm-hmm. But um, how would you describe the film scene in Chicago? <clears throat> well, I'm from Chicago, <laughs> and right. uh, just being a part of it, I see it on so many different levels. Um, I just consider myself being an integral part of the community overall. Like, I mean, I, I work with everybody and communicate with everybody and connect with all types of filmmakers, whether they consider themselves underground, whether they play more mainstream festivals like the Chicago International. Um, it's always a growing scene. It's always more that could be done. And I'm always, I feel like I'm working to make that happen, um, whether I'm outside traveling, representing the city and attracting filmmakers there and making people more aware of the scene. And having them take interest into work coming out of the city. Um, in 2012, I did a, a tour, my first tour, um, with all filmmakers from here. And just took a bunch of short films on the road. And like, no one knew who we were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one knew anything about, you know, not so much about Chicago underground cinema like that. So to be able to have that reach and get, like, good crowds, like, in these random cities, um showed a good thing and i i had i had some good uh some good acknowledgement these past few years um with making some lists and stuff like that just 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 to know that people are aware of what i'm doing mm-hmm. and that it's actually effective for like the culture of cinema and joe you know about cinema culture i started that in like your dorm <laughs> you know yeah, so I even remember. going from you know from 2007 to just making making up ideas for film screenings and to take it, you know, to from from here to Canada or, you know, Switzerland or whatever, like being able to 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 show that there's talent here and there's people here that's constantly working and people are constantly working every year and a lot of films come out of here and a lot of festivals happen and I just connect with everybody, man. It's a it's a it's a very uh interesting scene, man. And it's you know, it's uh it's not for everybody, you know. I felt 
uh, at a particular time that it wasn't fair um, based on, like, what people had access to and what people were allowed to screen us, which just inspired me more to do my own thing. And, you know, once people saw that these things were, you know, happening, they wanted to be involved in what I was doing, and, you know, they realized it was dope. <laughs> so it was like, it's cool to see programmers who wouldn't normally acknowledge my work, like, five years ago to be like, yo, your program changed my life. Yo, I use a reference to your program and for this job interview or something like that. And it's like, oh, okay, nice. cool. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm just a member of, of the community, man. And, you know, just a supporter of it. Now, how did you get connected with the Kimfo Collective? Man, through, uh, through some mutual friends. Uh, Victor Lee, who was acting in my film, he had uh, did some work with them, and they were like, "Man, you gotta meet Amir." And I didn't know too much about him. I feel like I had came across them maybe online, but I wasn't too much about him. And then Darren Wallace, who's a member of the collective, he reached out to me. We met up. He sent me the films they were doing, which was Savage versus Avoid and Third Timothy, what they made uh, as a graduate at Columbia. Mm. And man, them joints are cold, man. And no, they are. I was just like, yo. You know, I want to help y'all get some screenings and get some shows, and get a larger reach outside of that cinematography Chicago. in Third Timothy was incredible. Yeah, Third Timothy and Savage versus the Void. Um, oh yeah, we yeah, screened yeah. Savage versus the Void uh, for Afropunk um, for a screening we did over the summer in New York. In New York, yeah, um, they asked us to do a, a special like Black Radical program. Nice. And uh, yeah, man, it's that's one to, that's one to watch for sure, and it's like. The stories, you know, I mean, in the film, it's always the stories, man. Third Timothy about these two kids selling holy water, you know what I'm saying, in the South. And Savage vs. the Void is about this play based around Troy Davis on the night of his execution, you know. So they're very good stories and great filmmakers, man. And we all, we all connected, you know, around the idea of, of this black cinema aesthetic, um, which was really brought to the forefront by Arthur Jaffa. Who was a cinematographer, Arthur Jaffa, did Daughters of the Dust. He got this joint out right now called Dreams of Colder Than Death. Um, he did some uh, work on also Eyes Wide Shut. Great black mm -hmm. cinematographer, um, a predecessor of uh, people like Bradford Young. Mm -hmm. um, but Arthur introduced this idea of the black cinema aesthetic um, back in 92 um, through different lectures and stuff and has like grown on that and like how can we have our own cinema language, like what can we employ? Cinema like stuff like Dogma 95 and any type of, you know, film uh, style or whatever. Um, you can think about but how we employ certain methods, like methods used by Miles Davis. How did Miles Davis make a track? How can we make a movie like Miles Davis made a track? You know what I'm saying? Stuff mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, black music is um, one of, uh, you know, uh, larger art forms that, black artists have been more influential in. So yeah. it's like trying to think about how can we carry this over in cinema or having the same like affect. And we, we talk about all the time. I talk with Kim folk and, and, and Darren about, you know, the certain things we can employ in our own films, whether it's through the cinematography, whether it's through the storytelling on, you know, making these methods more apparent. And uh, people like Ben Caldwell, who was a part of LA rebellion, had a chance to have dinner with him. He was like, 
legendary filmmaker, man. He's uh he's based in Lamert Park in L.A. And uh, he was Park. like, he was like, yeah, he was like, see the thing that, me a home. yeah, Lamert Park, man. Lamert Park is like the black metropolis um, of L.A. art wise, um, from what I've uh, learned um, visiting there. Um, he was like, man, he's like, we didn't work on Ben Carwell was like, we didn't work on um, using this American narrative way of telling stories. We use African folklore, you know what I'm saying, to to tell their story, to tell their tell their stories and make their film. So thinking about like ways of storytelling, like mm. David Decker and Asylum is not really a narrative so much as in like a arc. Does the, the character does change, but it's not like the character's here now it's here. It's yeah. not really to, to to me the movie doesn't have an ending. It's really your ongoing experience. Interesting of the ascension of a spiritual being essentially. Interesting. That's interesting. You bringing that up because when I was I was explaining um, to my lady how what I thought of like all of your projects overall, mm. and I compared your work to David Lynch's. Hmm. Wow, man, that's a big compliment, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, <laughs> I was just I was just like you know David Lynch's stories almost have their loops. Yeah, like a lot of times you watch the film and you're like, I just got to watch it again because yeah. it's just like. It, yeah, you, you, you pick up the, stuff. Yeah, you pick up stuff, mm -hmm. and not only that, but the character development is often it's not about it. it mm -hmm. It's really just about being able to tell a story and yeah. being able to captivate the audience into under, trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, for example, with uh, Mulholland Drive, you know that film, you can watch that over and over again, and it's still like, with what girl? What happened? Exactly. <laughs> what girl? Which girl? Yeah, Who, right. Who's this girl? Right, like, right. Her. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, she the same person as the other girl. Like, yeah, yeah it, it gets it gets deep like that. And uh, even with um, uh, Third Timothy, when I was watching that mm -hmm. uh, at the. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the people may or may not hear it. I'm not sure. But there is a dog. Got to watch out for He's want to be heard, man. Yeah, he, he's talking he's, about cinema, man. Yeah, Dogs yeah, yeah. love cinema too. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, just, just as long as he ain't Cujo. <laughs> um, but yeah, Third Timothy. That story, for from my perspective, like watching it mm -hmm. through, mm -hmm. I thought that the younger, uh, the uh, one younger, shorter yeah. kid with the fro, yeah, was actually dead the whole time. And when he, at the end, when he asked, oh, no, in the middle, he was like, you got to do this and so we can get on, uh, move on. Or he said something like that. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed like his, the guy he was with was mm -hmm. maybe like the, maybe an angel that was like going through the uh, transition with them from mm. earth to heaven. Because mm. they stopped at the grave sites mm -hmm. and that real cinema, like that whole shot was just like picturesque. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then at the end, how they rolled off. Like yeah. It's just like, is this, are they really salesmen or hmm. is this kid dead? Yeah, that's, that's a real good, um, that's a real good interest. That's an interesting thing you picked up from the film. Cause I, I never thought of it like that, but, um, shots to Julian Walker, who's the director of that film. Mm -hmm. And, um, third Timothy, man, the acting in there is incredible. Like some best, some of the best acting I've ever seen from youth actors ever. The, the younger character, he snaps, man. He snaps in there, man. Shorty's, he yeah, he Shorty's cold, job. man. Both of them are great, but the 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 younger one is is cold. No, he definitely did a good job. I, I was like, either he got good direction or he just know how 
to tell, you know. Yeah, know how to pull it off, man. Yeah. yeah. Josephine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes in. Yeah. Maybe he was raised in the church, though, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah probably probably helped. But um, yeah, I, I that was and that's just how like I look at the, that film um, mm-hmm. and even your projects overall. It's just like. You know. You could be like the black David Lynch. Like, <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, because it's so everything is psychological. It's like uh, I I was um, just watching the background on his video game. This is kind of so unrelated. Maybe one day we'll talk to somebody about <laughs> video game storytelling and stuff like that. But um, how the psychology of video game design, um, specifically with this one game, Until Dawn. Um, and how it's uh, supposed to be a, a kind of a horror video game. Okay. Um, and how they play into all the tropes of the, your traditional kind of horrors, mm-hmm. the girl and guy kind of, you know, the sex, mm-hmm. the uh, the jock, the, you mm-hmm. know, the innocent girl that mm-hmm. gets played, and then, like, she don't want nothing to do with anybody, so mm-hmm. she's always the first one to end up getting fucked up in the yeah, movie and shit. Yeah, the first victim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that those... Those kind of things, like, I guess is really what you're aiming for is kind of like a, a tropes, not necessarily tropes, but just being those signifiers that you always see in films. Is that what you mean by having a being able to establish that black? Uh, well, I try to I try to avoid tropes, I guess. Uh, but I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's a sense of like having uh, this type of uh, visual language to where like. How it's shot, the frame rate is shot on. Um, uh, uh, idea that Arthur Jaffa introduced, um, I think it was black visual intonation or something like that. A black vocal, something like that. It's BVI was the acronym. I can't remember um, what it all means. But anyway, he's basically talking about how how a person will use an instrument. Mm-hmm. Right and how you would you could you could switch up the frame rates on the camera, kind of, mm. in the same way how they would use the instrument. How you would like how you would like rhyme over a beat, mm-hmm. and you would change that up, you know, throughout your whole one shot sequence with the frame rate. So it's different. It's not really no like established or defined method of a black aesthetic. It's just kind of like making these films and being able to. It's like this feeling you want to give people, just like with soul music. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in a room full of black people, and some Curtis Mayfield comes on, and how everyone feels when that song hits. Mm-hmm. You feel that in your soul. That's why I soul music. So having that same thing when you sit and watching a movie, and the movie is like, the movie in general is like the only time you could have a collective emotion with all these people you don't know in the dark and public, right? So having this same affliction when you're like, when you're a black person, you're watching a movie, and you just like you 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 feel that you feel something that you all relate to, you know that's it's a that's a cultural thing that no one else quite gets, you know what I'm saying? And you see that in like a lot of different films, even in some Caribbean cinema, like um, the movie Better Must Come by Storm Salter. Man, I love um, But I feel like you know, especially with the language of that film, you know how they speak. You know, you gotta oh, yeah. really listen to understand what's happening. You know what I'm saying? If yeah, you don't, yeah. if you're not familiar with that that dialect. Or that culture, you kind of like lost. Yep. Like I was set with people that wasn't black and watched that movie, and they were just like, "I don't get it." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, really? "All right, yeah." Uh, wow. 
I um I I uh listened to uh Storm Salter's uh interview that he was it an interview? No, I, I chatted up with him on um Twitter during mm-hmm. uh, one of Affirm's um tweet uh, Affirm Rebels yeah Affirm one Rebels, of Affirm yeah. Rebel uh tweet ups that uh can, he was a uh, part of um Rebelthon is what Rebelthon yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and, uh, he was one of the guys, he was telling, he was talking about, um, the cinematography of that project and the editing and how they, um, shot it. Mm-hmm. And just like, I, I was, again, I'm, I'm always impressed with cinematography and the color mm-hmm. of that film was just yeah. so vibrant. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Caribbean yeah. feel. Um, and they, uh, I can't remember the name of the company that they, uh, got the editing, uh, done by, but it was a Canadian based, uh, took care of all of the editing for the project. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, it, it's, it's imperative to kind of have that understanding. Like you can still tell your story how mm-hmm. you need to tell it mm-hmm. and capture the picture and tell, and, you know, as you said, you know, the vernacular, um, as neat as you, as it's, as it, um, is connected to whatever culture it is a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, but still it, you want to be able to resonate with other audiences. Right. And that, and that kind of, you just telling me, you know, you watched it with people that weren't black or I don't know if it, they weren't black, but they didn't get it. Well, yeah, they didn't really, they can really like pick up on the dialect that much. Cause as you know, they, it's real, um, you know the language they use you know is straight from you know jamaica so mm-hmm. it's like if you're not if you're not so much familiar with people who, people from the caribbean how they talk and where the dialect is you might not pick up on things so it's like parts of the script is kind of like we had to listen to the movie to really be like i heard what they said i understand what's happening in the story you know it's not like they're speaking like so much uh, a different foreign language. They're speaking English. Right. It's just a different exactly. a style of style of English. Um, Even if you didn't um, understand the dialect, is it one of those? Because I haven't seen the film. Uh, would it be something that, if you were to pick up on it based off of what you see, if you just pay attention to what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but not to like focus on the person I was watching the movie with, but it's like they just wasn't familiar with this type of movie you know i i couldn't imagine how watching shadows would be for them hmm. <laughs> yeah. um now in terms of i guess I, what i'm going to lead to with that was um how do you in from an international standpoint um with films uh from uh, from the black perspective do you think that they all should have some commonality in terms of those the way that the story is told um, I feel like some do. Like when me and Aaron created Black Radical, you know, we were trying to find films. Essentially, a first the first series we created was around ideas of Afrofuturism. So it was kind of even finding these films and like who are some contemporary Black filmmakers who are making films that could be considered Afrofuturists or whatever and. You know, we put programs together and curating films is you want to find a commonality to to kind of give a context to the program overall and how all these films relate. Um, so I feel like some the films that we have put in our programs all have a commonality. And since they, whether it's Afrofuturist, whether it's Afro-Surrealist, 
or whether our current program is about the uh, the other uh, reclamation of the black body and how those films are not specifically they don't put that in a synopsis you know but you could draw this feeling of yeah this film is about the reclamation of the black body you know this is like how we contextualize the program or put it in but yeah i feel like you you could you know draw um draw context and commonalities to different films i don't think it's uh it's important for everyone to have their own voice and their own vision um but essentially you want to like evoke an emotion you know yeah um with experimental or futuristic films is that the goal or is the goal to identify different ways to tell a story um it really depends on the filmmaker um i don't really know what people think after i edit something or how effective it is like i'll watch it and be like yo this is a heater <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. i don't know what people go think but yo this joint is dope and uh i'm not saying because i made it but because mm-hmm. of what i feel you know the time i put on it and the editing strokes i made on it and um I want people to get something from it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? yeah, and and that's one thing that it's even kind of like any other kind of art. I mean, even with comedy, you have a comedian's comedian, you know, or mm-hmm. you have people's comedian mm-hmm. that you know, or whatever. Um, it's kind of like even those type of you have films that only filmmakers appreciate. Yeah, and then you have films that everybody can appreciate. Right, you know, all around. Right. Um, Sometimes there's moral takeaways and sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. I, I, and that was one thing that even watching some of the films uh, at uh, the Kinfolk Collective uh, uh, presentation on Thursday at mm-hmm. Columbia College, uh, I was wondering, like, what are the takeaways? I, I, I feel like there was one from the um, Savage versus The Void mm-hmm. that I could take away. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the takeaway for your project? For Shades of Shadows? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> um, for thinking about what I was thinking of, to to speak on what I was thinking about and the themes I was working with with is just like black ritual performance, mysticism, um, just different ideas around like this metaphysical reality that that wasn't there in the films I was finding. They're not. There wasn't. They they, they aren't about this. You know, I was mm-hmm. had to. Picked, I had to pull these things from the films that I was that I thought were more visually interesting and thought yeah. I could like weave together, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was like finding the things within these films that just already existed and putting them together to where it makes sense and where it all meshes together into. It's really a narrative. It really tells a story. It was really Shade of Shadows to me is really all about these different, um, these different. Um, spirits finding this like uh, having this like uh, trying to think of what I was like getting towards because I have I had this when I wrote the synopsis for it I had it all I had it all figured out but uh, it was just like they're, they they own this quest mm-hmm. for something you know what I'm saying and, um, like the, the animated one you know um, they're just they're just they just want to give this crown to their to their to to their woman and um the dancer wants to how he's how he uh in in and like brings up how he, how it shows him like kind of like working with these other dancers and how he kind of like lifts them up you know they're like down and they're moving and he kind of raises his hands and they rise to the 
shots of his his, his hands going up and react yeah. to that, and they all take place in this whole large dance. So it's kind of like them all challenging this energy mm. um, within themselves mm. to um, to basically be used toward like someone else to be put did, out there for someone else to. Did for me my takeaway from it? I I don't. I want to ask you: Did you intend? Um, I guess to kind of have those like spiritual connections because it, it, you there it, it was two things you said um one about uh shades of uh shadows and vestitudes it's called like uh, the vicissitude vicissitude yeah sorry mispronunciation um vicissitudes both of those i don't know i felt like that was like those are bookends one is like the spiritual nature of someone like Tupac Shakur. Mm -hmm. And then the way you describe the other reminds me of Kendrick Lamar. Hmm. Like, which one is Pac? Vicissitude? No, I would say uh, Shades Shades of Shadows Okay, is Pac. Saw Mortal Man, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pac, Pac. (laughs) (laughs) No, and and I say that because of the butterfly in the second one. Okay, all right. And, I mean, the to pimp a butterfly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no, and those, were the image, those were the ideas, and it's, those were the spirits that came to my mind. Uh, what, well, even yeah. while I was watching Shades of Shadows. One thing about Vicissitude, it was like, I got that footage, and I didn't know what it was going to be. I told myself, I told my friends, like, yo, watch this clip. It was one take. And I was like, yo, watch this. This is going to be like a film. And he's like, yo, this is a crazy video. But it's like, yo, this is going to be a movie. And when I started working with Titus... Um, it was essentially trying to pull out what could this be like? What could this, what could this sound like? What, how can this be put together as a, as cohesive, uh, narrative in a way? And he brought up like Chimera and, you know, being a caterpillar and, you know, what that was like for the butterfly essentially. And another friend of mine, um, was like, the butterfly doesn't know it's a butterfly, mm-hmm. The butterfly doesn't call itself a butterfly. We call it the butterfly. Right. So it's not a butterfly yeah. to itself. You know right. what I'm saying? And even... That's even like our music. You know, we rap. Yeah. Like, you know, gangster rap. We don't call right, it gangster, gangster rap. Right, gangster rap. Yeah. And yeah. it's even the whole, like, philosophy of, of Kendrick Lamar being... Of, like, having the whole explanation about the caterpillar and the butterfly. And, like, having your, your wings expand, you know? Mm-hmm. And, all, you know, that whole spiel he gives, like, you know, in the last track. Yeah, that explains he puts the, the entire idea. poem together. Yeah, and explains the meaning of it. Yeah, I, that that is, uh, I mean, that's visual in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would almost think that you would make some experimental adapt. Uh, uh, I guess, um, what would you call it? Uh, film, kind of like how you did with the Kanye West track. Good Kanye West joint, like back in the day, the crack music joint. You back did in it, the day. You got a video with Kanye West over the Django. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that video. <laughs> Your own interpretation yo, of yo yeah. that video. I made it because the Twelve Years a Slave was coming out, and I was thinking about these movies in contemporary American cinema about slaves, and it was pretty much a joke. Um, as a it was a mashup joke. It was like because it that video is a mashup and it's a narrative. Of when Django frees Solomon, so it's supposed to be Django freeing Solomon Northup. Me watch the video. That's actually what's what's happening. But I use I do use Kanye new slaves because yeah. yeah, they were both slaves exactly in their yeah, films, yeah. and I use it as a rhythm too. 
um, to just like rhythmically edit and, and put it together. And at the time, Toy as a Slave wasn't even out. Only the trailers and clips were. So that's all, that all I had to use from. Yeah. And then so deciding which scenes from Django I could put to where it looks like he's fighting against slavery the whole time. Okay. So I chose the clip when he's beating a white dude. Um, and the clips where he's just riding to the sunset and all mm -hmm. the other stuff happening. And... Yeah, it was kind of like weaving this narrative together based off these two films of what if Django free Solomon? It was like this fantastical idea of of what these two movies were supposed to be, even though they're completely different, pretty different stories, pretty different styles and directors. And but I was mocking the use of these slave characters and these slave narratives in like current films. Hmm. So yeah, it was just. There you go, Joe. The Blue Joe's Ray. holding up both. Blu-ray the Django. I'm Django excited because I'm supposed to. Um, I'm I'm supposed to do a lecture on Django for this class. I'm just waiting to hear back from the professor, but it's for a writing class, and they asked me to do a a lecture on Django. So I'm excited to like put that together. What about Tarantino's use of nigga? Or? Well, I'm gonna definitely talk about that because that's important. But uh, thinking about it from a writing perspective of because um, it's a writing class that I'll be speaking to. Um, just like the the way of telling, like of how like spaghetti westerns are put together. Mm. Um, you know the slave narrative, um, the different tropes and characteristics of these people, and uh, I'm starting in there. But I'm probably it's supposed to be like an hour and a half lecture, so I gotta figure it. I think it's an hour. You gonna say something? Yeah, the because um, the point in the in Django where the dentist is talking to Django, telling him about the story of Brunhilde, you know that sort of plays an important part in the entire narrative because um, ba basically, I, if I remember correctly, he said that uh, there was a uh, a guy Siegfried, and he was trying to get his bride Brunhilde, who was on a mountain surrounded by fire, and there was a dragon. And so you can, I guess that's sort of an allusion or a metaphor to what Django has to go through mm -hmm. in order to get mm -hmm. um, Brunhilde, his, you know, mm -hmm. Carrie Washington uh, back. And whereas Leonardo DiCaprio is the dragon, hmm. you know, and then the candy. Yeah. <laughs> Candyland. <laughs> Candyland is the wall of fire, you know. She's, huh. So, um, so that particular legend of Siegfried did play a role in the, overall story too along with the spaghetti westerns and you know yeah. the slave narrative and all that yeah stuff. i gotta i gotta revisit it before i like embark on this lecture but it's so much in that movie yeah but that know. can definitely add you can add that to your yeah and i feel like in academia you could just pull apart stuff you know you could take up like two ideas and people will come up with like 12 other ideas from these two ideas you mm -hmm. pull from you know just giving context and giving like references i think um is what makes makes up kind of any idea you could pull from any type of lecture at all um it's kind of what i just did with your two films with <laughs> that, or tupac and that uh, lamar reference <laughs> just pulled two ideas that are completely out of box and just tied it together mm. um but no i definitely wanted i and i think that that's even a perfect segue to kind of the end um i wanted to uh try something new for the audience and uh, playing some music uh, to sign us off. But before I do that, I just want you to let everybody know a bit more about cinema, uh, cinema culture and black radical imagination and what's next for y'all. 
Okay. Uh, Summer Culture is a film program and label I started back in 2007 uh, with Joe Walters uh, helping me uh, just come up with ideas for that for that brand. Um, I've been doing curated programs um, under the Cinema Culture for a while and locally and uh, internationally. And um, so, yeah, we have a series called like 45s and 45s where we uh, ask filmmakers to create these like 45 second clips. And we have a DJ. Um, we play all the clips together. Then we have a DJ replay the clips to like 45 RPM records. It's a concept I created with my friend, uh, my friend uh, like Kwame Shorter. Um, was also a Columbia alumni. Yeah, Kwame was at the set on Thursday, wasn't he? Nah, he wasn't there actually. No. Um, but when you see Kwame, you know it's Kwame. <laughs> but but uh uh, so yeah, that's probably so we we, we talking about we and Kwame talking about doing that um more throughout the country in the coming year. Black radical imagination is ever evolving. We um uh, we released a book early this year through Dominica Publishing. Um. And that's available, and we're doing um, a couple weeks. We'll be touring Canada. We're going to three cities in Canada for like two weeks, doing like a bunch of lectures and workshop. And and it's really different to take. Um, we kind of touched on this earlier, but it's really different to take Black American films to other countries because there's a specific understanding we have as Black Americans that the people outside doesn't don't really associate with. For instance, even when we, we were in Trinidad. Um, about a year ago, and we presented kind of like an overview of Black Rock Imagination using films that were like Afrofuturism, films that were Afro-surrealist. And, you know, they didn't relate to it the same way. They didn't, It wasn't the same type of questions, one same type of understanding they had about these type of narratives because they're Caribbean, they're not like Black Americans. So it was really, I'm really looking forward to seeing like the type of stuff like Canada we get from canadians because it's such so many broad cultures like you got chinese jamaicans in canada you yeah, know yeah. stuff like that so like what they could pull from these films you know that mm -hmm. we present to represent black american short films contemporary short films it's like what are they going to think about you know these movies that they can relate to but can't relate to at the same time so it was always interesting how these conversations and shared uh the theories around um black cinema uh me and aaron who's a curator based out of la we created this lecture called uh it's called cinematic conspiracies um gun and greenley where we talk about bill gunn and sam greenley mm -hmm. and how both their films ganja and hess and the spook who said by a door were basically disregarded um by american cinema in the 70s which was like the height of black exploitation era yeah, but how because these films wasn't wasn't like that, wasn't black, wasn't exploitive, right? You know, to black culture, they were shunned, and it was like with with Ganja and Hess, which is a they were less legendary and more empowered. Yeah, those films were definitely empowering because you had these black characters that wasn't buffoons and wasn't pimps or drug dealers. You know, they were like anthrop archaeologists, you know, right. and, and shit like that, and CIA um, agents. Uh, CIA agents who infiltrated, but how like how but even the history we call semi conspiracies. We talk about like how these films were set, but also how they were damn near lost to existence. Like the only way Ganja Hess exists, like in its only form, because it was recut twice into different movies. The only way it exists because Bill Gunn gave a copy to the MoMA. If he didn't give a copy mm -hmm. to the MoMA before he went to cons, 
you wouldn't even see Ganja Hess and what it is. And Spooky mm-hmm. sat by the door. That was only theater for two weeks before the FBI pulled out all the prints and destroyed everything. And then the only way that film was kept alive is because it was archived under a different name. So it was like the methods these dudes had to use to keep their films alive so like the future could know about it and shit like that. But you know, making black and making movies is still something that is rough for people. It's not, you know, accessibility. Like, I commend you for even have this, having this podcast because it's important to have stuff like this, you know what I'm saying, to right. to have these type of discussions and make people aware and people become, um, people get more, as, it's more like uh, like accessibility to film. Mm-hmm. People have, the general public has, you know, uh, every year, every day, people get more, whether it's shooting on the iPhone or, or whatever, so... Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, a very, it's just cinema is such a very a young thing still. It's not even 200 years old and it's so much more left to be done. So many stories to be told and, you know, so much more to accomplish. This is true. I, I, you say that and it makes me wonder in terms of like, I know that there are so many quadrillions of versions of songs that could be made. I think there's stats on that, in fact. I wonder if somebody could, in fact, come up with uh, some kind of equation to say that there's this many types of films or stories that are still yet to be told. Yo, I be I was thinking about the Frederick Douglass biopic. I was thinking about, you know, I mean... These are films that could be told. These are films we, that could be before told. We were, even before and we had uh, the, started the podcast, we were talking about... Um, uh, Keith Whitfield. Uh, yeah, Stanfield. Stanfield. Yeah, yeah. Where I get Whitfield from? Um, <laughs> yeah, Keith Stanfield. Um, doing um the James Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. That that I mean that's a story that I still feel needs to really be told. Bro, it has to. And yeah, Mike Epps doing Richard Pryor. Mike Epps doing Richard Pryor. Yeah, Richard Pryor. Pick. But that's a uh, I mean you know one thing about films essentially is the funding and the, the backing you get. I mean. It's a Richard Pryor biopic being made, but that's Lee Daniels. You know, Lee Daniels had to come up as a producer before he could, and he started directing little indie joints before yeah. he got, you know, big time mainstream yeah. Hollywood. Pariah. The Butler, and even when he got to The yeah. Butler, they still wouldn't let him call it The Butler. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, he had to yeah. change that title. You know what I'm saying? That Time Warner, that, or Warner Brothers. Yeah, that, it was like, like some whack, some whack shit that was like did back in the yo. It was like and, for real. Yeah, like you gonna let his brother have his title? You know, <laughs> it can't be Butler. It wasn't Butler. Like no, you can't call it the Butler. It has to be Lee Daniels, the Butler. Yeah. We but have to call films, it that. I mean, there are films that there. I'm sure there are films that share certain titles. You know what I mean? Yeah, and but, that was they that was a argument. But I'm saying the 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 restraints they put on people of color who are making films yeah, yeah. of like you can't do this. Yeah, that's, that's like we let you get this far, but you you, you can't do this. <laughs> we we let you do all this. So even like it's how like we have to have more time and more more things able to be able to tell stories in a certain ways because. I would I, I would I would rather wait to see a James Bond biopic because I feel like that's a movie you have to really hone in on because how man so many so many ways you could tell this dude's story and how he connected with so many people you know what I'm saying youth and people at that time and I recently used some James Baldwin clips in this current installation I have but no one knew it was James Baldwin at all you know because wow. the things he's talking don't relate to current conditions yeah but. Keith does have the likenesses of James Baldwin, yeah. definitely. Um, but it's like that's like 
a movie out, you can you need like three years. You, you pretty much, man. Before or even research alone, even, probably a year. Right, you know what I'm saying? Even, yeah, there's so many things that, like, writing wise, essays, and I mean, it was a point in his life he had to live in France. And, yeah, yeah, he could. He was left America for a while. Yeah, I mean, um, for the, the over that whole communism. That's uh, no. like a that's, that's a that's a that's a two hour and a half movie for sure. I think that me. if if anything, you don't. Maybe even start off by making a film about one of his books. Yeah. Or even like, I mean, you know, like how movies sometimes are the traditional ways. Sometimes there's shorts I made and then the features I made from those shorts. Yeah. His writing of a book, his reading of a certain, um, like how would that, how would that story be made? Um, just like where would it start in his life? You know, what, what story would it tell of his life? Like I think about one biopic essentially that I always bring up because it's like, how this story could have been is to get on up biopic James Brown. Yeah, I remember I took my mom see that for a birthday. She's a big uh, James Brown fan. She enjoyed it, but she was like, "That's not what happened." She was able to point out things in the movie. It's like mm, that actually happened this way. This this actually didn't happen in real life. It happened this way, mm. and the things he used because like, the director, you know, that's the same director who made the help. So that's already like a strike. <laughs> you made the help, bro. You white man made the help. Right. So it was a scene in that movie that I feel like could have been so much more. And it's like the scene was like they're recording of I'm black and I'm proud. Oh, yeah. Like, bro, that could have been a big chunk of the movie. Just that alone, just the, how much that mattered to culture. You got the, the death of Martin Luther King and this song, you know, has to still keep mm. the people together and let them know mm. that it's okay. You know, kind of like how all right is right now for everybody. Or the Kendrick Lamar song mm-hmm. is, and it's like that shit was so minimal in that movie, man. You had that shit was like five minutes. They put yeah. that one moment and into even five still minutes. That five minutes, the they had that part with a, I think either the record label uh, producers were like, "Why is he making this song? Why yeah, is, why is he just repeating this song yeah. over again? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it wasn't that song he was making. It was a different song." Uh, Dang, what song was he making in that movie? It I only saw it once. I could Pro. watch it again. <laughs> um, he it was another song. He was one of his songs where he just repeats the same thing over and over again. Please, please, bro, please. please. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he kept doing that. He's like, why is he doing that over and over? Yeah, again? it's like he's like you don't get it. Yeah, and it's like the powers that be. It's always those powers who are trying to change how the. Final Vision comes out, like, I think about the whole, you know, headline of Ava DuVernay about to direct Black Panther, you know, and how she she opted out, you know, because, like, they only came out of her because she, she was a hitter. She just dropped Selma. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, she's a, she's a dope black director. Yeah, but she's not she's not an action director. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying she can't accomplish that, but... Right. That's but they picked her because you know she was hot at the moment. You know right. what I'm saying? They wanted they need a black face to make people feel like this story is going to be interesting. Like first of all, the Black Panther cartoon is not even on American television. It was like BET Australia. Mm-hmm. So you already are limiting, you know, culture. Like imagine how how it would be if black kids turned on BT and saw Black Panther and saw a music video every Saturday morning 
You know, you have different ways children would think about things. But that speaks to a different, pro- uh, a bigger problem with BET in itself. Too. Yeah, I mean, not not just BET. I'm I'm, I'm speaking on just like access and how people, you know, the 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 the, the distribution of information mm-hmm. and and content and how those things are purposely, you know, held a certain way. You know what I'm saying? This is you know, it's you could go talk about so many different things and how like the power structure in place is always at work and is always trying to alter the public's perception overall. Like, you know, we, 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 they like, okay, well, well we gave you opportunity to tell this story, but we going to let, you know, Joe Whitey over here actually be the director. It is actually him decide what these visuals going to be, you know, to this very black film. We're going to yeah. let him tell you what this should look like, right. you know, who, who knows how much research that guy did? You know, who, who knows how much he actually cares about this story? He's just making another movie. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, and, that, that, and that's one of the beautiful aspects of Straight Outta Compton. Although I, I can point out some points, kind of like your mom did with the Get, uh, get On Up, mm-hmm. that were like, that's not historical. The one being, of course, the ball cap. Uh, the socks cap in the entire movie. Mm. Um, the other being uh, the scene with Pac and uh, Dre <laughs> when Hail he Mary. was in the studio. Yeah, yeah, he for dropped California make, Love. He dropping Hail Mary before yeah. California Love. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, when did he? Re- he Dre wasn't even there no more when he was working on right. Machiavelli. That's true. When he was doing Hail Mary. Yeah, you're right about that. The entire Machiavelli. You're right album. about that. And it was no, and it was no. Uh, you didn't give you a time frame. No, because Hail Mary was post California Love. It was post Dre at Death Row. You're right, so, and like, he was. It didn't make sense. Nah. Uh, I think that movie is one to show Pac and have his presence. Absolutely, um, and that, and the guy that played him, um, give him props uh, for uh, his moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Hopefully, uh, the next steps that they take with uh, any biopic that they make about music, whether it's a Pac, uh, Wu Tang, mm-hmm. uh, uh, follow up to uh, Def Jam with the uh, Crush Groove, mm-hmm. um, all those type of things. I mean, yeah, it definitely. Uh, I mean, even Shroud of Compton, I think it was a great entertaining film, and just it was great to have you know a black director and an all black cast and black producers behind it, but. In that film, I was still able to see the powers at play. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it was great and entertaining. Actually, I didn't like the ending. I hated the ending. You know? What? Yeah, I hated the ending of Shroud of Compton. I feel like it could have took so many different directions. It could have. I mean, but I feel like that's what you're going to end on? You go, it's like, just that? Like, you could have, you know, it could, you you had so many different ways you could end it. And I feel like, you know, because, like because of. It felt like a <laughs> Because like commercial, I mean, I felt like you didn't need that timeline and credits. You need that timeline and credits, and you didn't need. It became essentially like the Dre story, and I said I feel like that because Dre probably put the most money into it. Dre probably put the biggest support kind of to kind of direct where the story was going to go. I mean, Cube Cube is like the most experienced acting wise, so he had his hand in that. You know, yeah, he's working with the actors, he's working with that, the yeah. talent. He's yeah. he's been a director before. He yeah. he's probably was under F. Gary, but Dre's yeah. probably like, nah, take that part out. Now we're not talking about that. It's gonna end like this. You right. know what I'm saying? I mean people a lot of people brought up in like feminist criticism about the mention of well, Dr. Dre's abuse of women. Of course that wasn't gonna be in there. Of course it wasn't. No, yeah. Like you know, you know, if you're making a biopic about yourself, you're not going to put 
you know, the bad shit that, you know, people are going to be like, you know, I'm not going to nah, fuck with not you. Gonna like, yeah. he was you're not going to Malcolm X's story. He was Malcolm story. He was a producer of the film. He was yeah, one he, of the producers. Right. Of the like, he's, you know, it's, it's, he's involved in the whole development of the story and the whole research. You have only four members alive. Right. Five people involved, including Jerry Heller. But it's like, Easy e is dead. So you only have memories and you have ideas on what people felt from Easy E. The guy's performance of Easy E was great. But the way the story could have been seeing how Easy was how seeing how the movie started with Easy, you know. It should've ended. And it should have ended with Easy. You know what I'm saying? It could have like touched on everything, went to the death row thing, and you know, you kinda got an idea how Suge well, a friend brought this up later, but she was like, yeah, that's why that's why uh, Drake out with Suge, because he's responsible for the DOC thing. And that's kind of put fear in Drake, because DOC was just the writer, you know what I'm saying, and helping for Drake, but Drake had, you know, the, the tracks and all that. And it was kind of like, you know, how they had the scene in the hospitals, like, yo, yeah. like, I'm going to look at the paperwork. I'm look at the paperwork now. Like, that's when DOC's in the hospital. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of was wondering that too. I was like, are they hinting at the fact that Suge has something to do with DLC? He was so. his manager. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. He was with him, so, so it was like it made sense. Right. My friend brought that up. Um, but it's essentially that whole movie though is like playing into every conspiracy related to like Suge doing something wrong. Totally. And up I mean, shit. he it, got it arrested was, during the film's production. Totally, he killed somebody. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, but uh, the, the matter like. When, when money has power and money has power in making films because it relies on talent and people's time and energy and people need money to encourage them sometimes to just be on set, period. So, I mean, it's just being mindful of the images that are, um, the images that are given to you yeah. and shown to you. And also being mindful of the control you have as a as a creator yourself to be able to say, I'm not gonna tell my story this way. Yeah. Whether it's gonna cost me my career, right. It's gonna cost me my life. Right. I'm gonna choose to tell this story the way it should be told and like the realest form it should be told. You know? No doubt. Um, so yeah, I mean it's essentially just for for blacks to uh tell their own stories and have control on how those stories are told. I think we're going to end on that because I want to hear the story about this project you want me to be a part of. <laughs> I don't think we're going to talk man. about that on here. Yo, man. Um, yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to sign off by uh, with this track from um, this week's Chicago's Filmmakers Collective uh, presentation. Um, it was a song by an artist named Adam Dallas. Shout out to Adam out of Baton Rouge. He came up to Chicago for the show, man, just for the screening. So props to dude for coming up. Out of Sh- to Chicago from Louisiana. Great artist, man. And uh, the work that Ken Folk did with him. I don't even know how he did the one video, but it was dope, man. And I appreciate those guys for just creating solid work because um, it makes it exciting to create more stuff. It excites me as a director to be like, okay, now I got to go back and make some dope ass shit too. <laughs> so it's like. But yeah, his visuals even for his uh, cover work for the album is pretty dope. But we going to end it there and um, check it out. Adam Dollars hanging from the branches. Thank you for listening to Films D podcast. Check us out on filmsd.com, 
twitter.com backslash films d films d.tumblr.com instagram.com backslash films d all that follow amir near tour handles um and amirdrudge.com you should probably be playing the track at this point but um <laughs> thank you for listening out of here peace <laughs>